I really think a lot of us don't like to identify as, say, simply an artist or simply a scientist or whatever it is that maybe is the category that defines us best. I think we like to think about ourselves as more complicated people. And I think a lot of the environmental challenges we're facing ask us to be more complicated people, right? And step outside of our disciplines and try on different points of view. Meet Teresa cavazos Cohn, a research assistant professor in the Department of Natural Resources and Society at the University of Idaho. For Teresa, it doesn't get more important than helping people understand science, especially as we face challenges like a global pandemic and massive climate change-driven wildfires in the West. She likes using tools like music, art, and storytelling to discuss issues like climate change and conservation. Welcome everyone to The Vandal Theory. Hi everyone, my name is Lee Cooper and I'm a science writer here at U of I and your host for The Vandal Theory, a podcast about science and research at the University of Idaho. Throughout the third season of the podcast, which we're recording and producing remotely, we're going to talk to U of I researchers about questions they want to answer, problems they want to solve, and what gets them excited about their research. Teresa and I chatted about how scientists can team up with artists to communicate about environmental issues. Hey, Teresa. Thank you so much for calling me today. I'm really excited to have you on the podcast. Well, thanks, Lee. It's good to be here. So you came today to talk about not just science, but also art. You're part of the University of Idaho Confluence Lab, which is attempting to combine these two things. So can first off, you kind of, you know, describe what the Confluence Lab is, and then how did it come to being? Sure. Uh, Yeah, so the Confluence Lab is an interdisciplinary research team of Idaho scholars working with community members to address environmental problems in Idaho. And, And there are all kinds of people who are involved in this now, from musicians to videographers to scientists, ecologists, um, to narratologists, which I didn't even know was a a thing you could be. Um, So it's a really fun interdisciplinary group of folks, and we're investigating issues like fire, climate change, water in Idaho. So when you say you've got, uh, you know, musicians and, and artists, and does that mean, you know, musicians and artists are coming in the field or are you bringing the science to them and talking about, you know, different ways of interpreting it? Can you maybe give us an example of, of what the team's working on? Yeah, yeah. So I guess all, all of those things. So um, one of my favorite projects right now that we're working on is a re-photography project um, that's based out at Taylor Ranch, the Taylor Wilderness Research Station, in the middle of the Frank Church River of No Return Wilderness. And I started this project really as a, as a short grad student project um, in which Michaela Petrini, the graduate student, went out into the Frank Church along Big Creek, the Big Creek drainage, and took pictures, right? And, but specifically trying to take pictures that matched as closely as possible historical photographs of that area, right? And this is an area that's gone through a lot of environmental changes. So landslides and fires and all of the kinds of things you might imagine happening in wilderness. And so Michaela retook these photos so that we could see some of those changes taking place. And then she interviewed stakeholders in the area so that they could talk about the changes that they were seeing, right? And this is where we see the kind of confluence value of community members coming into play, right? We don't just think of scholars as experts. We think of everyone with a story of this area as a kind of expert in what they know. 
And it's our job to, to tease out what that knowledge may be. So it's not just like, I mean, a fire scientist would probably go in there and be like, okay, what percentage burned? What kind of trees are regrowing in this area? Like those are maybe more the sciencey questions. But of course, on top of that, now you're asking, what does this mean to people to have these changes occur? Which is definitely not your classic science questions. Yeah, that's right. And and we would certainly talk to the fire ecology. We want the fire ecology story too, right? So that's a valuable story. But we're also talking to outfitters who may be out there, recreationists, uh, people who used to live there and had to leave the wilderness uh, when wilderness was established. So so we're combining all these kinds of knowledge, right? So so that's sort of you know one value of Confluence Lab. So the second piece of this project, and so so all of that took place, and then through Confluence Lab, a couple other University of Idaho faculty got involved. One, the first one was Ruby Fulton, and she's a musician. Um, and she's particularly interested in taking human voice and almost um, using human voice as if it's an instrument, right? So this project was enticing to her because we had interviewees, some of whom were, were willing to use their voices in this way from interviews. And so Ruby worked with the Icarus Quartet to create a piece of music called the Wilderness Suite, right? Which really added a musical component onto all of this conversation about environmental change. And then a third faculty member, uh, Ben James from the English department, who's also works uh, with video and film, joined the project too. And he's adding a video element to it, right? So what started out as kind of a simple re-photography project really grew into voices of community members, music, and an additional uh, element of film, right? So we end up being able to think about environmental change in, in much more complex ways than we were originally thinking when we started out this project. So going back to one of my original questions then, what was kind of the stimulus to creating the Confluence Lab? You guys obviously, as as uh, you know, professors and faculty here at U of I have a lot of claims on your time. Um, so why dedicate yourself to this new venture on top of everything else? Yeah, there are many ways to answer this, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my own version of this story to the high divide. So right that, like a physical location. So this is an area right about where Wyoming and Montana and Idaho meet, right? The high divide ecosystem um, and over by Island Park and uh, Red Rocks Lakes National Wildlife Refuge, I I'd spent um, a bit of time there working with the University of Utah at a center in environmental humanities field campus that they have there. This predates my time at the University of Idaho. And I had uh, the opportunity to really work with people in that area from all walks of life, right? So scientists and ranchers and environmental writers and in both sort of formal education settings where I was teaching, but also you know, hanging out watching owls or canoeing out on um, on some of those lakes. And after spending some time there, for me, I really started to value particular people who I watched, like Bill West, for example, who was the refuge manager at the time, who could bring people around a table um, who were very different, came from different backgrounds, had different opinions about things, and he could create a space in which really productive interchange could happen. It didn't mean everybody always agreed on issues, but it meant that people could sit down in a at a table and feel like they could have a conversation about whatever issue was at hand. And in that area, of course, like in so many places of Idaho, there are all kinds of environmental issues like climate change, water use, 
socioeconomic differences, new landowners moving in, uh, endangered species, large predator management. But I came to really value that sort of communal ethic, I guess I would call it. And so I found that to also be very productive and expansive and just a creative, fun way to work as well. And so uh, I guess when Confluence Lab, before Confluence Lab started, I work at the McCall Field campus, so I'm not on main campus. I knew Dan Ladino and Aaron James um, from seeing them on campus, but hadn't worked with them very closely. And uh, I bumped into them on campus. And and just to be clear, they're in the English department, I believe. They're English. They're English faculty. Right. And so there's not a, an opportunity where we're meeting at faculty meetings or anything like this, especially because I'm at a field campus. Um, so I bumped into, I think it was Erin, and she said, hey, uh, we're going up to this field campus in Montana. She knew it was the University of Utah and, and that I had uh, I had worked there. And she said, do you know anything about this? And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said, keep a lookout for the polar bear that's up there. To be clear, is this a is this a stuffed polar bear? Yeah, so this is a stuffed polar bear that I guess the, the, the family that donated the campus to the University of Utah owned, right? And so when the University of Utah took on this campus, they also had to manage this polar bear, right, and move it between buildings and things like that. So um, anyway, Aaron and Jen did see the polar bear. And then, you know, they came back from the same campus and we started having these much more in-depth conversations. And these were conversations about climate change in Idaho, right? Not as an abstract issue happening in the Arctic to polar bears, right? But what's happening in Idaho and how do we start to have really productive conversations about our how our communities are thinking about it and managing it, right? Um, we're now working on a, pro, a project with fire in similar ways, right? We are looking at increased wildfire in Idaho. How do we get together and think about it and talk about it and manage these issues in productive and non-divisive ways? That's really the work of the Confluence Lab. So that kind of gets to a, a larger question that I'd like to, to work into is this idea of bringing arts and sciences together. Obviously, that's happening on this campus, but there is a larger conversation of that. Um, the, the National Academy of Sciences are putting money towards these types of projects. A uh, number of the other you know, national funding agencies are doing the same thing. Why do you think this trend is occurring on a national scale? Yeah, th th these are great questions. You know, most generally, I really think a lot of us don't like to identify as, say, simply an artist or simply a scientist or whatever it is that maybe is the category that defines us best. I think we like to think about ourselves as more complicated people. And I think a lot of the environmental challenges we're facing ask us to be more complicated people, right? And step outside of our disciplines and try on different points of view. So I think one of the fundamental interests in this is because it's a shift in the academy to think and interact with communities in the way that people really are and operate. Uh, so I think it makes fundamental sense in that way. And now let me answer that question from my field, which is science communication. I'm a geographer too, but I teach science communication and work in science communication. And, and I know, Lee, that you work in science communication too. And, and one of the things that I think we've come to understand is that when we think about communicating science, we know that it doesn't work to just spew facts, right? And expect people to understand, absorb, take action based on those facts. It would be great if they did. 
I mean, I've proven to myself over and over again where, yeah, my, my cool fact of the day just, you know, nobody cares, particularly until they find that that thing that they connect with on a deeper, more soulful level. That's right. Yeah, right. So we're they're looking for avenues to connect, first of all. And so we as science communicators can work on providing them that kind of more complicated avenue in which maybe music, maybe visual arts, maybe I don't know, any 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 number of ways that people might connect. And I think too, you know, that we when we try and convey science as if it's a one-way movement from expert to non-expert, we're not representing science as a process very well either, right? We are representing science as a set of facts, which I don't think really helps develop uh, science literacy as a whole, right? So, um, so I think when we can create more complicated avenues in, we, we help ourselves, we help the field, we help science be better understood. And I think we also, though, help people understand themselves and, and um, as scientists, right? That that part of what they do in the in their lives is science, right? It's the way that we we move through the through the world, and it's not this inaccessible thing that's only owned and operated in uh, by experts. Yeah, I think uh, you know so many people would be amazed at when they look at how they make decisions, how they you know process what they're doing in their job, whether that's you know a science job. I'm making little quotation marks, or a non-science job, um, I think they would find they're using the scientific method, whether they know it or not. Right. Yeah. You know, and interestingly, in the in the um, meeting, we just had a Confluence Lab meeting yesterday with our project Communicating Fire. And one of the things that we decided to do, right, and I'm I'm hanging out with English professors here, not to use the word expert at all, right, when we're talking about one of the pro- parts of this project, right, and this is about Communicating fire through storytelling in Idaho, right? And so, and so we're we're working with Lita Kobziar, who's a fire ecologist, to sort of put together what what's the the running fire science right now that that's sort of the basic fire knowledge that we need to know. But then also collecting a variety of stories from what we're calling frontliners, right? So anyone who has frontline experience with fire, and this could be evacuees, it could be people talking about smoke inhalation, it could be all of us now who are experiencing fire in some way. And rather than categorizing fire experts, right, we're talking about fire professionals and frontliners. So we're really trying to watch our language, right, in the way that we even convey the kinds of communities that we're working with around some of these issues. So again, that's going back to everybody has their own story uh, to tell about these, you know, complex topics. What are you going to end up doing with these stories for the um, Communicating Fire project? Yeah, right. So the first uh, the first step in this project is to conduct about 40 interviews. Uh, and then we're working with like the English department uh, folks are really looking at the ways in which people are putting together fire stories. So what are the kinds of stories that people are telling about fire in Idaho? And then the second part of that is really working with these stories in education programming, right? So that we're trying to both understand the stories that are being told uh, in Idaho about fire and using those in educational settings to better understand how this changing landscape is affecting us, both in terms of the fire science and some of the social issues around fire, but then also really working to structure environments in which stories from Idahoans can be shared, right? How do we create programs in a space in which we can be having these dialogues that are open and honest and not divisive around these issues? 
Are you finding that people are excited to tell their stories or do you have to, you know, kind of twist arms to, to get these stories or do people really want to be a part of these conversation? This is a, this is a great question. And we were just funded the money, Lee. So we're just coming up with questions right now and we're and developing our interview guides. And so I'm jumping not, the gun then. <laughs> jumping the gun. But I would say, you know, because, uh, you know, right now we've got five million acres burning in the West as as we're doing this interview. That boy, we I think all of us feel like we're in the middle of fire stories of some kind, friends, families, evacuations. Uh, so so I don't think there's any shortage of people sharing stories, whether whether it's for this research or not. We just are living in a landscape of fire right now. As far as the Confluence Lab goes, is there any other plans to bring in any other aspects of the arts in? I don't know. Uh, yeah. At this yeah, point? Well, yeah, interesting. You should ask. We did just uh, submit a, a grant application last week to try and add a fire atlas, a narrative fire atlas to this. And this would be bringing in a, at least one visual artist. Uh, and then also a cartographer into the project too, so that we can be tying people's narratives to place and then visually representing those narratives in some way, uh, likely with some aspect of cartography. Very cool. Uh, is there anything else uh, that we haven't talked about in terms of Confluence Lab that you really want to add? One thing that I have been really pleased about and found kind of unexpected is just how exciting the creative energy of bringing different disciplines together can be. So for example, I had a, I had a moment last year when we were talking about the re-photography project and Ruby Fulton, the musician, had brought in the Icarus Quartet. And so for the first time in my life, I was in a panel discussion um, with musicians, you know, and uh, the pianist made a comment like, you know, I've just never been involved in a piece of music with, with such topography. And, and I turned around and looked up and you could see the score, which to me was just beautiful, that really looked like the landscape of Big Creek, right? The Frank and that incredible elevation difference and the rugged, rugged landscape looked to me visible in the notes. And um, and I think, you know, when we take time like this, uh, this has been unexpected to me, but when we take time like this to feed our creative cores individually and communally, I think uh, I think the creative process um can come out in in unusual and unexpected ways. And that has been one of my favorite parts about the Confluence Lab. It's really made me think about things in different ways. So you get to inspire each other. That's awesome. Yeah, I think that's it. And, you know, it's just fun. And, and a lot of times when we're working around some of these contentious environmental issues, it's not fun, right? It's not fun to think about or read the news about. And so in a way, bringing people together in a way that's generative and expansive brings a new energy to these issues in a way that I think is really well fun for me. Excellent. Well, Teresa, thank you so much for calling today. Uh, I appreciate you doing this. All right. Well, it's been fun to talk to you as always, Lee. Thank you. If you found the intricacies of Teresa's science communication projects interesting, I think you'll enjoy learning about a few other U of I research projects. University of Idaho volcanologist Erica Rayer investigated the growth of volcanic formations by manufacturing lava bombs, which are melted blobs of lava ejected from a volcano. The research could provide insights into modeling lava flows and ensuring human safety during eruptions. 
Architecture professor Bruce Haglin has been recognized with the American Solar Energy Society's 2020 Leadership in Solar Architecture and Design Award. Haglin received the award for his leadership in the field and his influence on generations of design professionals. U of I geographer Grant Harley will use tree rings to reconstruct air temperatures in the eastern United States. With a National Science Foundation grant, the study will look back over the past 300 to 500 years of temperatures and help scientists understand trends across the northern hemisphere and predict future climates. All right, that's it for today. Thank you so much for listening to The Vandal Theory. We hope you'll visit our website, uidaho.edu slash vandaltheory, if you'd like more details about Teresa's work. While you're there, you can also read our show notes and email me with comments. And please subscribe. We're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Play, and Spotify. And we'd really love it if you'd rate and review us too. We hope you'll let any friends and family interested in science and research know about the podcast. Help us tell our story. I'm Lee Cooper, and thanks for joining me.